Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we are in a summer series called Stories, and uh, we've been focusing mainly on the parables of Jesus. And I, I don't know if we really thought about this thoroughly. We really want to do something on the parables of Jesus. They are some of the greatest gems in all the Bible. But as we're getting into it, we're also realizing Jesus really nails life down to some really hard-hitting, really clearest truths of Scripture and life in these, and it's just really fascinating. It kind of goes with our summer agenda. We were hoping that the summer would be a, a summer where we, we all get to have some vacation, but we don't stop growing. And uh, i got to tell you, I'm so, I, I, I love being a part of this church because I get to talk with so many of you, and you are just so serious about your growth in life, in God, as parents, as workers, and I just love being a part of this church. One of the common things to remember about Jesus' parables is that they all center on the theme of understanding the kingdom of heaven, or sometimes other gospels talk about the kingdom of God. And what's really important in that for us to remember is that it's crucial for us to not think that heaven is this faraway place. Jesus is actually telling us through these parables that the rule and reign of God needs to come to earth right now. He wants us, and the kingdom of God is coming in a way that he wants as much of the kingdom of heaven in our life in this world as possible. And so that's kind of our goal in life, is to bring as much of that as possible. Today we're going to look at two parables Jesus shares. Both of them are in in the Gospels of Luke, uh, the eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Both parables address the power and necessity of prayer. Uh, Jesus himself, when we look at his life, he, he, he models prayer for us, doesn't he? It's hard to find a chapter in the eyewitness accounts of, of his life where prayer isn't present in some form or fashion. Jesus, even though hounded by massive crowds, always seems to find time to get away and practice prayer. It's a hallmark of his life. The message of, of, around prayer in Jesus' life is he can't do anything without it. Everything has to be preceded by prayer and undergirded with it. When we go further in the Bible, look at the book of Acts, we see the rapid growth of the early church and everything that's going on in there. And you can see prayer in every single chapter of Acts. You see the people praying. It's not praying as a side thing or as a good thing. It's a central thing to knowing God and being the church. No matter how busy life was, prayer was there. You look through history, Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, I have so much to do. He talked to, was talking to a friend. He said, I have so much to do that I need to pray three hours this morning instead of two in order to get it done. Oswald Chambers, a, a famous writer, a devotional writer, once said, prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. So we see Jesus lived a life centered around prayer. The early church lived a life centered around prayer. You can't find any great Christian, whether they were a, a, a religious reformer or a societal reformer, for whom prayer was not central. Now, if you're like me, right about now, if I were sitting where you are, listening to what I just said, I would be tempted to be feeling all sorts of pressure and guilt. Like, I never pray enough. And he's going to tell me I have to pray a gazillion hours and how in the world am I going to get that in my life every day? I hope that by the end of this message that that pressure largely goes away for you and that you will feel more hopeful about your prayer life becoming vibrant and more life-giving for you. 
So as we jump into the parables today, Jesus' disciples have been with him for a while already. One day after noticing Jesus' prayer life, the disciples go to Jesus and and say, well, you pray and all this power happens. Can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus does so. He actually teaches them what we know as the Lord's Prayer that's prayed in churches around the world. We're not going to read that today. But Jesus doesn't stop his teaching and prayer there. He immediately goes on in Luke 11 to tell his disciples the first of the two parables we're going to look at today. And it reads this. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. That's not strange for that day. The whole family slept in one room and one bed. I can't get up and give you anything. He goes on and says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And he goes on and says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Then a few chapters later in Luke 18, Jesus says this parable. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city... There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. But for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, in most parables, there is something representing us and something representing God. So in these parables, if you apply that strictly, you end up with God being a tired, unwilling neighbor, or worse yet, God being an evil judge. So that doesn't work in this instance. Both of these parables are actually, let's refer to them as how much more comparison parables. How much more will your good, perfect Father in heaven respond to your prayers? If you already know that even a tired, unwilling neighbor, an evil father, or an unrighteous judge will respond favorably if you act like this, that the parable's saying. So, I gotta tell you, I'm so grateful for the way you guys pray for each other in your small groups and for whenever there's a need, there's so many people praying. Uh, I'm grateful for the increasing amount of group prayer that we have going around here. We had a group of people recently who just felt like we needed to walk the neighborhoods and pray together, so we all got together and we walked the neighborhoods and prayed for God's blessing on all our neighbors in the neighborhoods around here. So I'm so very grateful that prayer is a vital part and increasingly a part of Quest. But I know that that's a challenge for any of us as a church and any of us as individuals. Life is so fast, we try to squeeze prayer in when we can, but it's not too often in our lives foundational to what we do before decisions at work or home. 
At the beginning of the year, we started the year off with a series called Breakthrough, and it's a word that I don't like. It feels too pumpy, but we felt like God speaking to us individually as a church, that God was saying 2019 year was a year of breakthrough. So for the year uh, so far has actually involved un- unexpected sidetracks. I don't know about you, but but uh, there's been a lot of challenges and difficulty in people's lives. Stuff has gone on for most of the staff members that kind of unexpectedly sideswiped what, what we planned and thought the year was going to be. Among you, the people of Quest, I know many of you have faced and experienced tremendous unexpected loss or, or difficulties this year. Because of all the negatives, uh, one of our people in church who's just really avid about praying for us as a church, uh, who themselves have had some huge unexpected slide swipes to their year, ran across a prophetic word written by somebody well-known in, uh, across the nation, forwarded it to Wendy, and, and Wendy and I read it, and we felt like God was saying, yeah, this is, this is really where you are at as people and as a church. So here's a portion of what that is. It just said, the Lord showed me that because of weariness, and the enemy using these unexpected circumstances and curveballs to weary God's people, many of us have stopped asking. And the Lord is encouraging his people to ask again. Do not allow disappointment or weariness to seal your voice. Ask again. Ask the Lord again and watch the blessing of the Lord unfold. A breakthrough can only happen when we learn to press into the presence and the power of God. And that happens not by working really hard to perform in prayer to earn a breakthrough. See, I think that when we look at these parables, our first reaction oftentimes is pressure. We are tempted to look at these parables and say the simple lesson that Jesus is trying to give us is pray hard. It's up to you and your persistent and your persistence and your effort in prayer to lead to the breakthrough and the blessing in your life. But I'm going to submit to you to read these parables in that way misses Jesus' heart and his main point. So to get at what Jesus is trying to say, let's step back and start with you and I. Why is it so hard for you and I often to pray when we struggle with prayer? See, I think our initial answer to that question when we're asked that is a self-condemning one. We would say, I'm not self-disciplined enough. We don't pray for the same reason we knowingly eat too much ice cream and not enough salad. Self-discipline is the problem. But I want to suggest to you that's not what Jesus is driving at as a main point here. Jesus is actually anticipating and he's actually focusing on something else, anticipating something to help us get through that barrier. I think the issue really comes down to sometimes you pray and things happen fairly quickly. Other times you pray and either nothing happens or it doesn't happen for a really long time or it doesn't happen in the way you thought it should happen. And sometimes you you forget to pray and you know you should have prayed about something and it happens anyway. See, I think Jesus is anticipating the unknowns of prayer that cause tension in us and keep us from praying in what he's teaching the disciples here about prayer. So uh, let me personalize this. I was praying this last week about something. I, uh, frankly, I think God should have taken care of years ago. It should have already happened, at least in my book. Something I've been praying for and working for for many years, and it still hasn't happened. Do you have an area like that in your life? 
Now, see, if I allow myself when I'm praying for that to go inward and, and look at what's going on inside, I, I find that in, in me there can be so easily this buildup of disappointment and frustration that makes it hard to continue to pray. I think when you and I struggle with prayer, it's because of those unpleasant feelings inside. And because of those feelings, we either have a choice to make. Either we're going to stop believing in God, or if we want to continue to believe in God, we're going to tend to kind of pray, but then we tend to give up on praying for something. Instead, we just choose to focus a little more heavily on God's sovereignty. And we start saying things like, if God's going to do it, He's going to do it. He will do it. And it doesn't matter if I pray. I've already prayed. I'm leaving it up to him. And and there's elements of truth in that. But I think our struggle with prayer is is intellectual and and even maybe more so emotional in, in dealing with those why God answers here and not there types of questions. Why it takes so long sometimes. And Proverbs actually warns us about this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And frankly, we don't want to face that internal dissonance, that sense of heart sickness. It isn't fun. It isn't pleasant. It isn't easy. But here's actually the cool thing that I think we miss oftentimes when we read Jesus teaching us about prayer, especially in Luke 11. Immediately after Jesus gives the disciples an outline of how to pray with the Lord's Prayer, Jesus actually responds to their question of teach me how to pray by spending most of his time teaching his disciples to focus and, and he's actually focusing on this emotional barrier, kind of, kind of giving them a heads up so they don't get sidetracked. Jesus actually anticipates our struggle in prayer and talks about it with us. And when you step back and think about that, isn't that really awesome? Isn't that really helpful when the master teacher who you just wish you could be like is so blatantly honest in helping you from the start to see the major roadblocks that could sidetrack you from whatever he's teaching you in this instance, having a vibrant, meaningful prayer life and knowing God's presence and power. It's kind of like... In premarital counseling, sharing with someone getting to be married, you know, you're going to face these struggles. Every married couple is probably on the planet is going to face these married struggles. And, And that's actually hope giving to them, isn't it? Because they know when they face it, they're not alone. They know the difficulty that they're facing is not something that is going to happen to them just because they're defective. And they know in advance what they're going to, what they're going to face, so it prepares them to deal with it better and not get sidetracked. So if you struggle with prayer, there's nothing wrong with you. You are not inferior to others. You are like everyone else. No matter how great or unique you think others are in their faith, you are the same. Your struggle with prayer doesn't mean that you are not cut out to follow Jesus or live a life of great faith. So let's step back and let's examine the, the, use the remaining moments to, to, to examine some of the, the main lessons that these two parables give us because they're essentially giving us the same identical lessons from Jesus. The first one is this. Effective prayer starts in desperation. You see, in both of these situations, in the parables, the person modeling prayer for us is in the place of desperation. 
In the first parable, the person has a guest show up unannounced at night, and which is, which in in that day wouldn't have been that abnormal without telephones and email. It would have happened, you know, probably quite often. But also in those days, to not have enough food to put in front of your guest who showed up would not be just impolite, but in that culture, it would be offensive in its lack of hospitality. So the guest comes late at night, and remember there are no late light, late night Taco Bells, or actually, in that day it would have been Falafel Bell, we know that right. Bad dad jokes. I got by with one last week, and I just told another one, sorry. There are no other options available than to go to the neighbor, even if it's an annoying to them. In the second parable, the widow lives in a man's world. Unfortunately, women had few rights in that age. She is desperate. Her security depends on a judgment in her favor. So here's the point. I think the reason that we don't pray or persist in prayer is because we think, I can do this thing. Or maybe we think, God isn't answering, so I must not be working hard enough, so I'm just going to get it done on my own, whatever the cost. I'm just going to shoulder that burden and move forward. We don't recognize how desperate and wholly dependent on God we are. Paul Miller in his book, The Praying Life, writes, he says, if you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that time and money and talent are all you need in life. Consequently, you'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy to pray. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to pray. Think about that statement. Is it true of your life, the reality, that when you're struggling with prayer and you don't want to pray, that you really just believe that it's all on my talent and I can do it? See, I don't like to admit that, but if I'm honest, when I'm struggling to pray and, and, and I'm neglecting prayer in my life, that's typically, if I look inward, that's typically what's going on with me. That's how I'm responding to life in that moment. See, we so often live our Christian life, even, our, uh, even just life in general, simply by the idea that we need to master the principles that we need in order to be good enough and focused on the right things. Because we easily think, like good, successful leaders do, if I just do the right things well, then that will guarantee success. For example, we even do this in parenting. If you like to read Christian parenting books especially, many of them push us in this direction. They say, just learn the right godly principles and practices of parenting, your kids will turn out great. But as Elise Fitzpatrick and Jessica Thompson point out in their book, Giving Them Grace, They say, well, you know, God, who is perfect, he's a perfect father, had one-third of the angels in heaven and his first two humans all rebel against him. So if you realize that, the authors actually pose a question that applies to parenting, it applies to leadership, it applies to life in general. Do you think you'll be able to out-technique God? See, it's dangerous to think that we can get the outcomes we want in parenting, in work, in finances, in leadership, in life, just by living a self-disciplined life around the right principles. There is something dynamically powerful and freeing for each of us to get in touch with how desperately we do indeed need God. 
See, Jesus is attempting to remove the guilt of not being self-disciplined enough in prayer by saying to us essentially that effective prayer doesn't start in discipline. It starts in hunger, in desperation, in fully recognizing our need. Second, there's something uh, really uncomfortable that both of these parables, uh, I think, force us to consider. I love how it's translated in the first parable. It says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. See, Jesus is teaching us that we need to pray audaciously. It takes a lot of humility and shameless audacity to go and wake up your neighbor in the middle of the night, right? And be told, no, go away, and then stand there and knock and knock and knock and ask and and plead and pester until you get what you need. I mean, think about this. This is not a life and death emergency. This is not a 911 call. No, this was just, I need some bread because I didn't prepare and I didn't have enough left over and I'm embarrassed, going to be, going to be embarrassed and cause an offense socially because I didn't prepare. So can you help me out? And yet this person continues to knock and call out relentlessly until they get up and give them what they need. How would you like your neighbor to come over at 3 a.m. in the morning? And pound and yell at your door continually until you got up and gave them a cup of sugar so they could make their favorite cinnamon rolls in the middle of the night for their friend who came into town. Would you like that? No, you'd probably call the cops because you'd be sure they were high, right? In the second parable, it takes a lot of shameless gumption on the part of the widow. She's near the bottom of the rung socially in her culture and authority and status. And she audaciously persists in bothering this judge who is at the top of the social rung. Demanding that her rights be protected and her needs addressed. In both of these instances, the neighbor and the widow did not care what others thought about them. They were going to step out in shamelessly audacious action to lay hold of what was right and best and needed in their lives at that time. See, Jesus is teaching us we will miss out on lots of things in life if we just sit back and say, God will do what God will do because God is already knowing what we need and He's the one who gives it anyway. See, I wonder if we live life with the same shameless audacity in prayer and in pursuing the presence and favor of God in our lives. Now, Jesus' point is not to teach us to be jerks. He is using a story-based hyperbole here to help us face that which keeps us from pursuing the presence of God, from walking into the blessings that God wants us to have. I was thinking about this. When I was growing up in church, altar calls were a regular part of the church experience. Now, I, I know better than most how altar calls have been manipulated and abused in the past. Let, let's set that baggage aside. I think there's something really healthy and good in that practice. Why? Because some of the greatest liberating moments and answers to prayer came when I was willing to risk having people think all sorts of things about me by going down front for prayer. Because at least when I was growing up, if you went down for prayer, and especially me as the pastor's kid went down for prayer, every gossip in the congregation was going to start saying, what sin or problem does Ross have? And by the time I got home that afternoon, the gossip tree would be really in full swing. 
Yet the very reason I think some of those altar call moments are so profound in our lives is because of the audacity it takes to walk down in front of everyone in public. It shows God that we are all in. And therefore, God can trust us as He works through us. See, we see all throughout the Bible God asking people to take public steps of faith that would be put the person in a position where they could be worried about what other people might think about them. There's just something about willing, being willing to go after what is most important in life, God's presence and power in our lives, regardless of what people think or say, that is a vital part of healthy faith and healthy living. And honestly, I've been around a lot of ministry settings, both as a pastor and as a spectator, where, where healing happens. I've seen people healed of cancer. I've seen injured limbs healed, just like we talked about this last week. I thought that story was funny because I, I called the, I texted with the mom and, and the, the youth who was healed and, and, and got back with them while she was on crutches, couldn't walk at all, and she got prayed for. And instantly the pain went away, although the bruising and the, the swelling didn't go away. So we were just kind of go, what's up with that? Is it just kind of like a, a reminder, hey, you know, for the next five, five days you're going to know that you were healed because I didn't take this away, but you're having no pain. That was kind of... I've seen heart disease healed and, and major medical centers, Mayo Clinic, confirm the healing. There's one thing I've noticed, though, and, and frankly, I don't like it intellectually, but I can't deny the reality. I see many people who pray for healing And those who see healing happen more often than others, often you look at them and you see this audacious boldness to pray. The best ones combine that audaciousness with this beautiful grace-giving compassion with their prayers so that no one ever feels guilty. They feel loved even if they're not healed. But nonetheless, there's this shameless audacity. I admire audacious people, so desperate and hungry for God to show up that they don't care what people think, even if it makes others uncomfortable or themselves uncomfortable. Are you hungry and audacious? See, when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, the Greek tense of those is communicating actually, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. And Jesus also points out being this boldly audacious should actually be easier for you and I than the characters in Jesus' story because God is not the uncaring neighbor, but our friend. He's not the unrighteous judge, but the righteous judge. He's not the imperfect evil father, but he's the perfect good father. So how much more? See, God delights in sharing His power with those who are bold and audacious enough to pursue Him, regardless of what other people think. Third, Jesus is teaching us to pray persistently. See, both the neighbor and the widow don't give up until they get what they're asking for. It's kind of like kids, isn't it? You tell your kid no, and not too often it turns into this invitation to this extended siege, knowing that you'll eventually crumble, Right? Both parables acknowledge that because of the shameless audacity and the continual coming, they each received what they were asking for. 
And Scripture bears this out. We see examples all throughout Scripture. In Acts, we see Peter put in prison and the church playing all night until he shows up at the door in the morning. And it's kind of a funny story because Peter knocks on the door and the guy uses their version of the people, sees it's Peter, and he gets so excited that their prayer is answered that he runs back in the room where there's dozens of people praying and says, hey, our prayers are answered. And they go, well, where is he? Oh, I left him locked outside in the street, you know. They didn't just pray and then say, you know, okay, let's watch a movie and go to bed and that's enough. We see it in Paul. We see it in the Old Testament in Daniel and Moses and David. I mean, there are times God's going to say, yeah, you prayed enough. Just move on now, right? But the point is simple and it's clear. If God is not answering and you don't see it yet, keep praying. Again, there are exceptions where God's going to say, hey, just let, let that one be. I've got that one. Don't worry about it. But Jesus is saying, hey, you asked me, disciples, to teach you about how to pray. And the biggest, longest point I'm going to make in that teaching is don't stop praying until you absolutely have to. Pray and keep praying. If you're praying for healing, pray until you can't anymore. In fact, I'll let you on in a secret. A lot of times I don't even stop praying when a person dies. In most instances, I will, even at the coffin, right before it's closed, still pray and ask God to miraculously show up and intervene. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm still going to pray. I'm going to still ask. See, your refusal to give up praying is one of the most endearing declarations of your confidence in God's goodness. What we don't have time to talk about today is this persistence and God sometimes works through persistence. Sometimes he's working on you. Sometimes he's working on others. Sometimes he's shaping you and others and how to pray and the process. So there can be many purposes to what God is doing by not answering right away or in the way we think that he's trying to accomplish in us. But the, the, the simple point is this. Persist in praying. Never give up. One of the things we like to talk about, don't talk about it probably enough around here, is we like everyone here to have their five. What we mean that, like that is we want you to have five people in your life who you are praying for, looking for opportunities to care for, trying to love and, and befriend in just genuine ways, people who are not followers of Jesus or have walked away from the church or distanced themselves from faith. We want you to know them. We want you to love them in a way with no strings attached, at the same time hoping that you can love them well enough that they experience God's love well enough for you that they also fall in love with God. And as a result, choose to follow him as well. One of the greatest Christians of the last few centuries was a guy named George Mueller. He wrote a book, Much Loved on Prayer, that's still read by many people today. Uh, and in it, he tells the story of how he had five young men. He decided he was going to pray for daily that they would come to know Jesus and, and be saved. After eight months, the first one came to faith. And Mueller actually writes one place. He says, I thanked God and I pressed on. He continued to pray every day for him. During year five, the second one came to follow Jesus. And during year 13, the third one became a follower of Jesus. 36 years later, Mueller wrote, The last two were still not followers of Jesus, but, he said, I hope in God, I pray on, and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he started praying, the final two came to faith in Jesus, a few years after Mueller had passed away. Whoever your five are, don't give up. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on your neighbors. And finally, Jesus is saying, pray trustingly. Trust God. 
Jesus says, what dad among you when his kid asks him for a chicken nugget would give him a poisonous snake? No one would, right? I mean, most bad dads that we know would give them chicken nuggets if they asked for it. How much more God, our good Heavenly Father. And if God is really good, then He might not give you nuggets. He might give you good chicken and a salad, but you get the point. Always trust your perfect, good, loving Heavenly Father. My kids asked me for a lot of things in life, most of them good. I gave them some in abundance, and there were some things I didn't give them. But just like you, if you've got parents, if you're, if you got kids to the best of my ability, I was always looking out for their good and trying to be that way to them. How much more God? So regardless of how sideswiped you have been this year in unexpected ways, regardless of whether you see breakthroughs in your life yet or that maybe you've been praying for those breakthroughs all year or maybe for the past several years, maybe even decades you've been praying for those breakthroughs. God is good. And breakthrough is found not in our own effort, but in learning to live and rest in the presence and power of God through persistent and consistent prayer. So what does that look like? Well, for maybe some of you, it might look like getting up early and praying for 30 minutes or an hour before your day starts. But for some of you, me even saying that is like a death sentence to your hope of becoming a person prayer. So maybe for most of us, we need to pray like several heroes of the faith have said it. They've used different time frames on it, but they've all said things like this. They said, I never pray for more than 20 minutes but I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. Maybe that's the formula for you. Years ago, while living in Tulsa, a man named Paul uh, kind of adopted me. He was the VP at the time of quality control for the top nursing health care company in the U.S. He was a high-powered executive, brilliant guy, great leader. But he was also crazy, and if he were here, I would use that word and just pause there. He was crazy, but he was crazy specifically about prayer. He was this very visual, kinesthetic kind of a person, so he actually often had to act out his prayers, or sometimes he'd even use props to symbolize his prayers. Every now and then, Paul would drop by my house, and we'd go for a prayer drive, and that was always an interesting, scary, fun experience with him. He was kind of a crazy driver. When we built our new church uh, back in Tulsa, he asked that a cubby be left accessible so he could crawl under the stage and pray for the pastor the entire time during the whole service. That was the kind of guy he was. Uh, Impossible here, this is solid concrete, so you can't unless you want to bore a hole. Well, you know, when you were talking with him, he was this deeply spiritual, complex person. When you were talking with him and he might sense God was saying something, he might notice something, he would just stop immediately and grab you. I mean, sometimes just literally grab you and pray for you. I saw him when he was with non-Christians at times. Uh, he might interrupt the conversation and actually pray for them in a way they didn't know they were praying for, being prayed for. It just sounded like some really, really strong, a little bit strange, but strong encouragement that they really loved, but he would just interrupt the moment and do that. His life generally demonstrated that habit of I never pray more than 20 minutes, but I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. So what about you? Does your prayer life consist of good, but in the scheme of things, trite things? 
It's good to do this, but sometimes our prayer life ends up just being, God, help me with this task. Help me with this task. Give me traveling mercies. Protect my home while I'm gone. In Jesus' name, amen. And those are all fine, good, valid things to pray for. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you not to pray for those. Those are great to pray for. But are you also praying for bigger things? Kingdom of heaven type of things of bringing His kingdom here and His power and His life and His love to bear where it needs to be in this world to bring change? Are you desperate about God's kingdom to come in the world around you and you pray for that consistently? Tap into whatever that is that you're really desperate for God to do in you and in others. Where is God asking you to move forward today in your prayer life? Is it to simply remember how desperate you are and let that be your motivation, not discipline, but let that be your motivation for prayer? Is it to pursue the presence and power of God with shameless audacity, not caring what other people might think? Have you maybe just given up on praying for some things rather than persisting? Is there an area of your life where you're not trusting God as good as your heavenly Father in that area? So jumpstart your prayer life today and just do it simply this way. If one of those questions elicits something in you, why don't you confess that to God and confess it to a friend, the area you're struggling with in prayer. And just take today, just take one step today and one step tomorrow to move into a more vibrant prayer life where you rest in the power and the presence of God. Because Jesus finishes that saying, ask and seek and knock. And if I'm such a good father, you know what he's going to give you? He's going to give you his Holy Spirit, his presence, and his power. So seek that. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would come right now. And that, Father, if there's any vestiges in any of us left of the guilt of not being self-disciplined enough, would you just come right now by your spirit and just wash that away for us. Instead, Lord, would you reveal to us how desperately we need you and how much you love us and that we can all grow in knowing how to communicate with you and how to pray and how to pursue you and walk in your presence and your power on a daily basis. Lord, that's what we ask for today. So Lord, even as we turn our hearts to worship now, this this next song, Lord, is a prayer. Would you receive from each one of our lips this prayer as we continue to worship you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.